Key scripture is Matthew 13, 13 through 17. The disciples asked Jesus why when he taught, he always spoke to people in parables. And he said this, This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. How many of you wear hearing aids? I would expect a fair number. Um, <laughs> huh? Um, it's one of the struggles of, of having some hearing loss. Even with hearing aids, I often don't catch things the first time. But my first hearing test was three years ago, and um, or about three years ago. And we went for a hearing test, and we both went in for a hearing test because I wasn't hearing some things. And we were trying to determine whether I was simply applying selective listening or whether I had an actual hearing problem. I was actually very grateful that I actually had a hearing problem. Because <laughs> um, resolving the, the hearing problem helped, but I'm, I'm, to have to be honest, the selective listening still remains on occasion. Um, so why don't we hear? Hearing takes focus. It requires us to put aside distractions, both internal and external. We were at a, a memorial service yesterday, and the memorial service, because of um, the family and their relationship with God or their lack of relationship with God, the memorial service was held at Cafe Mocha, um, which is at the airport cinemas in um, between here and Windsor. And when we got together to share things, there's an outdoor room that's a really nice room, and it was very pleasant in terms of just one-on-one -on -one conversation. But as soon as people started to share, all I could hear was cars and trucks going by on Airport Boulevard. It was really difficult to hear with that one distraction. But we have all sorts of distraction. We didn't have television. I mean, we did not have a television for the first five years of our marriage. We would not have survived if we had had a television. <laughs> because to this day, if the television is on and you want my attention, it is best to turn it off. <laughs> and in those days, if there was a television on in the house... My hearing was good enough, see, selective listening. My hearing was good enough that I could hear 
the horizontal oscillator in the television, which told me that there was a television on somewhere in the house, and I would find it. Um, so we didn't have television for five years. That was a very good move. I don't know how we came up with that idea, but it was we needed that. We have lots of new distractions now. Um, you go to a restaurant and everybody's sitting at the table with their phone. phone. Um, um, my, our daughter said to our grandson yesterday, because he now has a phone, and he was texting her, and they were five feet apart. <laughs> it was like, please speak to me <laughs> so I can hear. But listening takes desire. It means we're placing value on the messenger and the message. We have to want to hear. And if we want to hear, then we can. Jesus told parables because they're stories that are designed to connect not just with our ears and our eyes, but they're designed to connect with our emotions. Jesus intended that everybody would have an opportunity to see, hear, and follow him. He, he did not withhold himself from anybody. He was available. But closed eyes and ears will not see or hear him no matter how he says what he needs to say. Which is why Jesus repeatedly said throughout the book of Matthew, he who has ears, let him hear. So something to think about as we go um, through the rest of the service today and into the message You don't need to respond now, but just think about this. What are all the reasons that we don't hear what others are saying to us? What causes us to not hear? Sometimes it's distractions, sometimes it's noise, but sometimes it's other things. How many of those reasons are also reasons why we don't hear what God is saying to us? Because he's speaking, and how often are the same things that keep us from hearing each other things that keep us from hearing him? And finally, if we heard each other better, might we hear God better as well? Um, today is, or tomorrow actually, is Veterans Day. Um, and if you are a veteran, um, would you please um, stand? <laughs> we are grateful for the men and women who serve, um, and many of you have family who are still actively serving. And it is easy for us to forget um, as we sit in our nice warm houses and um, live in relative peace that um, our world is at war and there are wars everywhere and uh, we need we need peace everybody is different I thought that um, Randy's uh, Family lesson this morning, the um, 
we all are different. We actually we have a son-in-law who loves food, but he's allergic to eggs. Um, and uh, so we all have different needs, um, but we also have some needs that are in common. And we're going to look at some of that this morning as we um, discover that Jesus always knows ultimately what we what we need. Welcome to chapter 27 of the story. Now, actually, if you're reading along in the book, this is part two of chapter 23 um, for anybody who's trying to follow along the book. And we've, uh, we've discovered that there is one narrative, uh, one overarching neg- narrative that runs through um, the Bible, and we have characters and plots, and oh boy, do we have lots of drama uh, in all of that. Uh, and uh, we know that God desires a relationship with us. And um, I think as Jim talked about this morning in the uh, communion meditation, we also know that Satan has only one objective, and that's to destroy that relationship. And whatever, matter of fact, I shouldn't say only has one objective. Satan is, is happy to destroy any relationship anywhere. Um, he likes brokenness. Um, and he would like nothing better. And as I was preparing yesterday for this, I was thinking, yes, there are times when, and we're used to this symbol or image of the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder and kind of pulling us, and we're kind of in the middle being pulled one direction or another. And unfortunately, for many people we know, I think the problem is that Satan has somehow managed to get between them and God. And it's difficult to hear God's voice because there's somebody in between. Um, And I remember um, a former pastor, uh, as people struggle with all sorts of issues, and um, there are oftentimes um, in churches we have difficulties and we have conflicts that come up. And I remember him saying this, and I thought it was so insightful. Never let anyone get between you and God. And I thought that was so helpful. Because oftentimes we let things get between us and God, between us and Jesus. But Jesus has arrived, and the story changes. It takes some different directions. And last week we discovered that there were a few people who recognized Jesus, but there were a whole bunch of people who didn't. And he kind of disappeared into obscurity, and um, it seems apparent that even members of his own family didn't recognize him for who he was. Um, And God is still looking, as Jesus was looking, for people who will hear, listen, and then follow. (laughs) Now, one of the reasons is God knows we'll get lost on our own. And we do. We easily get lost. And we need to learn how to follow, and we need to learn what following looks like. And fortunately for us, Jesus is the ultimate follower. He does what, his God, what God desires him to do, and that's his focus in life. And Bryce last week talked about the characteristics of a follower. And one of the keys is a follower knows who's leading. And that's sometimes challenging. Um, in business, I, I had one job once where I had 
I formally had two bosses. And those two bosses hated each other. Which within our particular corporate environment was a new thought to me because we had one of the most congenial environments anywhere. These two guys hated each other. And they were out to take each other down. And I was the liaison between the two. And reported to both of them. That was the longest year of my life. Because um, I didn't know who to follow. You need to know who is leading. Um, and then you have to have the humility to accept the direction of the leader. There's sometimes when we think we have a better way. And we don't want to go where the leader wants to go. Um, and if we're going to be a good follower, then we have to have the humility to accept the fact that somebody else knows where to go and how to get there better than we do. Uh, that's really, really important for us. And we have to continually choose to follow regardless of where that takes us. That's maybe the hardest thing at all, especially when we don't know where we're ultimately going. If you're praying for our kids um, right now, they're in a really interesting time. They don't have visas yet. They have their house up for sale. But they don't even know if they're going to get visas because of what's happening, where they're going. So they are absolutely in the mode of, well, we're going to sell the house and God will show us where to go Next, <laughs> I'm not sure I could live that way, but they do. Um, and I'm grateful that they're able to do that. Um, Jesus called people who would follow. That was his one qualification. He didn't call the best, the brightest. He didn't call um, the, the most righteous. He called people who would follow and as far as we know, based on their character and the brief looks that we get at their character and personalities, of the original 12, there's hardly one of them, and be hard to identify one of them that would be considered a leader in the state of Israel. They just weren't. Um, they were common, everyday folks, but they did one thing. They followed. Um, and because they followed, they were able to turn the world upside down. And they followed someone who didn't even fit their expectations. They saw something in Jesus that was worth following, even though they wanted a military leader as much as the Pharisees did. And I do wonder sometimes if we'd recognize Jesus if he walked into the room today. And my guess is that he would challenge us to go places that we would not be comfortable going. Does Jesus, following Jesus make you uncomfortable? I hope so. 
Because I can just about guarantee that he's going to go a different direction than the one you would like to go. And it makes me uncomfortable. Um, Because I think he's still in the business of doing things we don't expect. And often he leads in directions we have a hard time accepting. But we are to hear, listen, and follow. And we're going to look at three encounters this morning that Jesus has with um, different people in different situations that demonstrate that Jesus really knows what we need. First one is in Mark 2, um, verses 15 through 17. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now we went through some of this last week at Life Group, but Pretend you are one of the disciples. For just a moment, try to imagine that you're one of the disciples and you've been following Jesus. And one of your characteristics as a follower of of Jesus is that you have been a fairly or you absolutely regard yourself as Jewish and a loyal Jew And you may not practice everything that you're supposed to practice, but you are definitely Jewish. And how would you feel when Jesus called Levi or Matthew to follow him? He just called a Roman collaborator and traitor to join our group. What is he thinking Well, Jesus must have seen something in Matthew that nobody else did. And, of course, we talked about this last week at Life Group. Who wrote the gospel to the Jews? Matthew. (laughs) It's really strange what God does. But he understood his Jewishness in spite of the fact that he was a tax collector. So as someone who is following Jesus, what's the first thing that Matthew does? It's the same thing that a lot of people do when they decide to follow Jesus. He wanted to share it with everybody he knew, and who did, who did Matthew know? He knew tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves, and those are the people that Matthew knew. Those were his friends because he was not acceptable to anybody who was an acceptable part of Jewish society. So this must have been a really interesting party because he invites the people that he knows. And of course, because they invited Jesus, the disciples get to join in this party. And Matthew was probably pretty wealthy, so it was probably the best meal that the disciples had had in quite some time. So they were probably enjoying aspects of the party. But then the Pharisees come along And they want to spoil the whole thing. Because it's like, Matthew's dirty. 
You're supposed to be clean. What are you doing with all of these dirty people? And this is where Jesus has an insight that I hope we recognize. Because Matthew needs something, and he needs it desperately. Have you ever been an outsider? Most of us have at some point in our life. Matthew was an outsider. He didn't fit. He wasn't accepted. He needed to be accepted. So what did Jesus give him? Acceptance. Because that's what he needed. Jesus was here on a mission, and it was the mission that God had for him. He had a message to deliver, and that message was, God loves you. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of what, you're done, what you've done, God loves you. And he sent me, his son, to tell you that. That message was revolutionary. It shook up everything that they knew about God. And he had only one task that only he could complete, and that was the crucifixion. Everything else that Jesus was about, he was going to train others to do after he was gone. That was the plan. I realize I've struggled to understand that plan sometimes, why God would deliver the mission to us when it would seem that he's so much better qualified. But that's what he does. And because that's what he does, we need someone who knows what we need to be able to carry out that mission. Now, in the book of John, we get into another encounter. Um, Jesus goes to Jerusalem to the Passover, just like he did as a child. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he does something that isn't a great way to win friends and influence people. He walks into the temple and he tosses out all the money changers, turns over the tables, chases the animals out. He basically upsets the entire economic system of um, the priests and the Sadducees who ran the temple system. He takes the core of their religion and he just turns it upside down. And John in his gospel doesn't provide any build-up to this. Although there is an implication that the disciples are with him, and they've got to be freaking out. Because if there's one thing that the Romans don't like, it's instability. It's chaos. They want order more than anything else. And Jesus comes into the middle of this celebration in the middle of town and basically turns everything over. They might have been looking for him. But in John 3, we have this interesting encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Did you hear what Nicodemus just said? Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a member of the group that's protecting the temple enterprise, protecting the religious system throughout Israel. And he comes to Jesus and he says, we know you are a teacher who comes from God. That's not what Jesus is used to hearing from Pharisees. That's a very, very different thing. Because he's just cleansed the, ta- cleansed the temple and engaged in this confrontation. And he's confronted the leaders and Nicodemus is one of those leaders. And yet he sees Jesus as sent from God, even though his peers see Jesus as sent from Satan. And Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus knew what Nicodemus wanted, but he also knows what Nicodemus needs. The whole reason that the Pharisees did what they did was they believed if they could achieve legal perfection within the nation of Israel that the Messiah would return. They wanted the kingdom of God to return like nobody else. Now we know looking back that they were going about it the wrong way, but what they desired was not a bad thing. What Nicodemus wanted was he wanted the kingdom of God. Jesus also knew that what he needed was the kingdom of God. But it wasn't going to look like what he thought it was going to look like. He wanted a kingdom which was a restoration of an independent Israel. And what he needed and what we need is God's rule and reign in the world and in our lives. That's what Nicodemus needed. So Jesus asked, so Jesus has said, you can't have that unless you're born again. So Nicodemus responds. Now notice, Jesus deals with Nicodemus in a different way than he deals with Matthew. Matthew needed acceptance. Nicodemus needed some ideas challenged. And so, because he's a thinker, and Jesus is going to challenge him to think differently. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Now we have discovered that the wind does blow wherever it it wants to blow. 
Shirley called her mom on Friday, and the fire, and she lives very close to the Paradise Fire, the campfire, and it was so smoky the sun was red here, and her mom was looking at blue skies. The wind blows wherever it pleases. So why is Nicodemus confused? Nicodemus is used to operating in a very physical world and thinking about physical things. The practice of his religion is all about doing physical stuff. Reading, reading, his, um, reading the law, memorizing the law, um, memorizing scripture, um, making sure sacrifices and offerings are offered, giving to the poor, it's all about physical stuff. And Jesus takes this conversation in a totally different direction. And we shouldn't be surprised. It happens to us all the time, especially when we are talking to people who have a different view of the world. For us, the concept of God and eternity are just natural. That's the way we think. And yet there are many people that you know that for them, concept of God doesn't even exist. And eternity, this is all there is. And so when you have try to have a spiritual conversation with them, it's challenging. Because we're not talking the same language even though we're using the same words. I think Nicodemus is not only confused, but he, he's frustrated. And he's frustrated because he wants to understand. And he wants to understand because he wants what Jesus is offering. His education, his religion, his position, everything about who he is stands in the way. And so Jesus continues, You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Nicodemus is going to have to see something and hear something before he can follow Jesus. He is going to have to experience the crucifixion which is the absolute opposite of anything he expects. For a loyal Jew, this had to be one of the most horrible things in the world. And to say, that man on that cross is who I'm going to follow. I'm going to humbly submit to what he says even though he's been rejected in the most dramatic way by everyone. Jesus tells Nicodemus what he really needs 
is eternal life. And there are two parts to obtaining that eternal life that Jesus reveals. The first part is that Jesus has to be lifted up. He has to make that sacrifice, and we understand that to be the crucifixion. In part two, then we have to believe in Jesus, and that's our choice. And so Jesus continues, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what we have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus isn't being harsh or unkind. He wants Nicodemus to hear. And he is offering something to Nicodemus and to us. He's offering us hope. There is hope for us. In spite of the suffering, in spite of the trials, in spite of the fact that we don't often understand where Jesus is leading, there is hope if we seek him. And Nicodemus may not have understood at this point, but something clicked somewhere, and it may have been at the foot of the cross, and he may have understood, oh, that's what this is all about. And he risks his position, sets aside his education, sets aside everything that he's about, and on Friday evening, he goes and requests to take a dead body down, which means that he will be defiled for Passover. But he gets it. And he decides to follow Jesus. At least I'm certain that he became a follower. There's one more story that shows us that Jesus has a different idea about what we need. I'll try to do this quickly. It's my, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 2, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the, mat the man was lying on. This is one very fortunate man. Um, he has friends who will tear up somebody else's roof to get him close to Jesus. Listen to what happens next if you are as if you are one of the men who just tore up the roof. So you have this friend who is paralyzed. 
You put them on a mat, you carry the mat, you can't get into the house because there's all the doors, windows, everything's blocked. So you go up on the roof, you dig up the roof, you lift this guy down. And then here's what Jesus says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. That's not why we brought him here. We wanted him to be able to walk. We know you can do that. We're totally confident. That's why we tore up the roof. Your sins are forgiven? Now, not only did they have a problem, there were other people who had a problem as well. But as we look at Jesus, he sees this man's need. He and Nicodemus are at totally opposite ends of of the social spectrum. The paralyzed man lays by the gates of the city and probably has a hard time staying clean and has all sorts of issues. And um, I'm pretty sure he wasn't wealthy. And Nicodemus is at the other extreme. He's at the peak of their society and he has lots of money and whatever. But what do both of them need? They both need Jesus. They both need eternal life. And they both need forgiveness. Now, there was one side note in this. Whose faith led Jesus to respond? It's not the man's. It's the friend's. (laughs) Think about that. (laughs) Um, We're not told how the man responds. For some reason, Mark just doesn't record that. But there are others watching who have a real problem with what Jesus has just said. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves... Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, the teachers of the law would not question this man's need for forgiveness. That wasn't the issue. They had an elaborate sacrificial system that God had given them that didn't actually result in forgiveness. By its sins were rolled ahead and payment deferred. So Jesus does something that only God can do. He sees the real need. And he meets the need. And then to prove he can do that, then he just heals the man. As if it's just kind of a, an aside, <laughs> an afterthought. Um, 
no big deal. And the man hears Jesus' voice, listens to the command, and goes and follows. He obeys. Now, in conclusion this morning, we need to hear Jesus because he is the only one who knows what we really need. I don't care how close you are to your spouse, how long you've been married, how close you are to a best friend. There is only one person who knows what you really need. And that's Jesus. And we need to listen to Jesus because he knows what our lost world needs. We've got lots of people who've got lots of ideas And we saw lots of them during the recent political season, whatever. But there's only one person who really knows what our world needs. And that's Jesus. And we need to follow Jesus because no one knows how to love better than he does. No one. We're going to sing a closing song this morning. It starts, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We can be at peace because we can rely on the fact that Jesus knows what we need. And we will go and tell others because Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for sending Jesus to us. Thank you for his willingness to come and live among us and show us that you really do understand us. You know what we need. And Father, I pray that we would hear your voice that we would be comforted by that and that we would find peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.